Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. Now, as the Whites marched onto East London to take on the Hammers at their Beyblade Arena of a stadium, the sun was shining as we hoped to put the Newcastle loss behind us. And what was a pretty good opening spell, Fulham, who were without our talisman, Alexander Mitrovic, found themselves in the lead after Pereira slammed home from the tightest of angles to claim his first goal for the Whites. But our hero quickly turned the villain as the Brazilian was alleged to have fouled Craig Dawson from a corner with Jared Bowen converting from the spot to equalise. I'm sure we'll come on to this shortly. The Hammers then got a foothold in the game and Skamaka missed a series of good chances but netted when it counted as he lobbed Burnt Leno before a defensive mix-up presented Mikel Antonio with a third. Again, more VAR controversy as Skamaka quite clearly handballed ball in the build-up and Mikel Antonio with basically what was a volleyball manoeuvre putting himself through before Ream and Leno kind of got in a bit of a muddle. Fulham now haven't won at West Ham in the Premier League in 11 attempts, but in an attempt to put yesterday's misery behind us, I've got an excellent panel here on Fulhamish. I'm joined by Drew Heatley. How are you doing, sir? Hello, George. Yeah, just about uh, getting over it. I'm sure this will be a bit of group therapy today. Yeah, it was. it's your local match, is it not? It's just a short hop, skip and a jump away from where you live. Yeah, that's right. It was a short walk, but uh, the walk back wasn't particularly enjoyable. Um, a lot of a lot of angry words shared between me and my mate as we, we as we headed back about the injustice of it all. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I'm also joined by Don Betts. How you doing, mate? I felt better on a Monday. I won't lie, but it's what it is. We'll get on to the situations later. But you know, we're still in the top half of the table, so there's always the positives. Yeah, good man. I can't imagine there are many Mondays that you feel good regardless of uh, the Fulham result. Is that is that what you say? That's fair to say. Yeah, that's a fair point. But I mean, yesterday's probably the first Sunday in a while. I haven't gone to the pub, so I feel all right. But yeah, watching match day two just infuriated me even more than usual last night. Yeah, it did not make for very good viewing, let's put it that way. But there's plenty to talk about on today's Fulhamish, that's for sure. And we had some very good three-word reviews as well. Drew, would you uh, care to do the honours, please? Uh, yeah, so I went um, I went to Instagram uh, today because it seems to sometimes not get as much love as Twitter. So um, we've got Wady FFC with West Hand United, which you, you can't really beat. And I know there was a few on Twitter that said that as well. I mean, it, it really worked, writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, we've got uh, uh, The Ed Wisms, and I'm sure I've butchered that, but there's no punctuation in these handles. So, you know, bear with me. Uh, we, and he, he or she came in with Killer Hand Job, uh, <laughs> which is a classic. Uh, we've got Football Fan Freddy, Hammered by VAR. And we've got uh, Glyn White, 31, with West Harlem Globetrotters, which is also very good. Nice. Excellent stuff. Dom, I thought 
Fulham went into the game pretty strongly, you know. As I mentioned in the intro, we were without Mitrovic. Bobby Decker, Dover Reed filling in at right back over um, Kevin and Babu, which I think is um, a fairly telling choice from from Marco Silva. But uh, it was Pereira who was our man on form, hitting his first Fulham goal pretty pretty early doors. I mean, yeah, what a way to get off the mark and open your Fulham account. Yeah, so it was a great counter attack. Obviously, Cabano com- coming down on the wing and getting the, then the ball eventually making his way to uh, Andreas Pereira, who. He absolutely slams it across with his left foot into the far post. So Fabianski had absolutely no chance. And it's a great finish, great start. And it wasn't like we just completely fell apart after that, to be honest. Well, you know, we continued attacking. We had the chance where Dan James hit the bar. And if that went in, that would have been an absolute thunderbolt. But yeah, we started the game really positively, which I think we have in a lot of games this season, really, apart from the Newcastle game. Um, I think we have we, we've often started the games very well. It's often been the sort of the five, ten minutes, the side of each half where We've been, you know, not not our best. So I think, you know, it was great to get off to the start, but I think we had a similar start away to West Ham last time when I think it was Ryan Babel scored and then what happened after that. But, you know, it was a great start and I was really positive. I thought West Ham were the team under pressure in this game. I don't think there was really... There was some pressure for us to bounce back uh, from the Newcastle game, but I think that was more of our performance as opposed to the result itself. But yeah, we started getting really, really positive, really, really well and yeah, got the goal and we were deservedly in the lead very early on. Yeah, it was also a very tidy little ball from Vinicius through to Gabano on that left-hand side in the build-up to that goal. Uh, Drew, just want to touch quickly on the on the starting lineup uh, before we get into the controversies, which I um, which I imagine we'll talk about at length. Any surprises for you? I mentioned BDR filling in at right back. I thought he did all right, and he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife player, isn't he? Mister Mister Versatile can pop in and he'll do a job. And I think Sammy tweeted that he wouldn't be surprised if he sees him doing a stint and net at some point but I mean yeah any surprises for you there I mean I think it's a damning indictment on Mbabu's uh, Fulham career already isn't it if uh, if we're going for uh, Bobby Decker over read it right back uh, over him and combined with the fact that he was taken off hauled off before half time against Newcastle it's not it's re- and that was uh, a tactical decision uh, you know basically as Peter said on Thursday club you know basically didn't didn't want him there anymore in that position it's just that's that's not uh, particularly good for him so that did surprise me I didn't hate it um, I think we were all happy to see Vinicius uh, get a full sort of 90 to try and prove his worth because obviously you know he must have come in against Newcastle and thought us oh, is a bit of a this is a bit of a, a you know dumpster fire for me to come in and try and do anything with. So it was good for him to to come in and do that. I think it's probably sensible to have rested Mitro if he wasn't quite at the level that we wanted him to. I mean, the last thing you want to do is aggravate whatever is uh, whatever is wrong with him and um, and put him out for longer. So not surprised about uh, surprised about the right back situation. Not too surprised about up top. Um, and in the middle, it was working well again. I think one other point I'd like to to make really is I don't think Dan James was ever brought in to be a starter for us. I'll to be honest with you, I think he's coming. He was always going to sort of come in as sort of sub cover, and uh, he's finding himself starting a few games, which I don't think uh, I don't think Marco would expected to do this early on, at least. Yeah, I guess it just goes to show perhaps um, some frailties in our depth. Obviously, we've got our injury problems. It was good to see Harry Wilson um, return off the bench. I think that's a positive that we can take from from yesterday and hopefully he can build up to his to his match fitness. Um, I thought Vinicius did okay. I mean, he's a bit of a diet metro, to be honest. And I thought large, um, large parts of the game, he was pretty ineffective. But I mean... 
yeah, Dom, do you think the Kevin and Babu situation is, uh, I mean, a lot of people sort of have commented on his, his poor attitude, which I think is um, sort of that reputation has followed him throughout his career. Do you think this um, overlooking is a kind of uh, a nod to that? I think so. I mean, if you're choosing a winger to be playing at right back, let alone right wing back ahead of you, I think it's a damning indictment of the start of his film career so far. I think, you know, yes, he put the crossing for Mitrovic's winner against Brentford, but if you look at when he came on against Spurs, you look at his performance against Newcastle last week, it just simply hasn't been good enough. Um, and I think if it was down to me, I probably chose Bobby Reed as well if Kenetete wasn't fit. So I think it is a damning indictment and I think Mbappé just has to work hard. You know, we saw this, you know, there's times where we've, set, we've written Fulham players off when they've had poor starts to their Fulham careers. I'm thinking Callum Chambers a few years ago. We, I remember that performance away at Cardiff when we had like four centre-backs playing and I was like, oh, this guy can't play Fulham ever again. And then you saw what happened with him. Yes, I understand he changed position, but yeah, I think it's a very, it's very, it's a wake-up call to Kevin Babu that he really needs to work on his all-round game. Yes, we've seen that cross and what he can do against Brentford, but we have seen uh, the uh, the downsides to his game. And Bobby Reid, yes, he hasn't played necessarily right back before, but he has played right wing back. And yeah, I think Bobby Reid is just, you know, Mr. Versatile for us at the moment. Yeah, right. Let's come on to West Ham's equaliser. Now, ball's coming in from a corner. Pereira is getting himself tangled with Dawson in the box, okay? First time they make contact, they both tumble to the ground in what looked like a sort of WWE chokeslam manoeuvre. I thought, okay, it happens, you know, players tangle in the box. You rarely see them given first time. Occasionally you might, but by and large, ref has a word, sends them both on their way. Pereira and Dawson then continue to tangle as the West Ham supporters get more and more agitated. I think there's three or four times where, you know, they, they sort of come together. Until finally, as the ball goes in, Dawson charges into Pereira and basically takes a forearm to the underside of his chin. They both hit the deck and a penalty is awarded. Okay. From what I can tell, they must have checked that on VAR. They must have had a look. But if you take that isolated incident that the penalty was given for, that is never a penalty. Drew, what's your take on that situation? It was um, it was an, a frustrating thing to watch for, for a couple of reasons, really. One, like... I know Pereira's got his defensive responsibilities in that moment with with Dawson and in the corner, but like you know, if you've got you've had it twice where the referee's been clearly noticing, like just being in that position is uh, is is quite frustrating. Um, but obviously, as you say, it wasn't even the con the contact wasn't even with uh, Pereira got actually got clattered by Dawson. But it's one of those things where you know two two toddlers squabbling and you try and tell them off and you do you know three strikes and you're out. And I think I think to be honest, I think the referee was. Um, also, uh, sort of influenced a bit by the noise. It was really the, you were saying the, the West Ham fans getting agitated. It was really loud, and you could even hear it on um, on match of the day later in the evening. It was it was it was really loud, and I think that might have had something to do with the um, the little bit of frustration that those two seemingly weren't listening to him, but also the fact that uh, yeah, it, it was a bit of a cacophony of noise. So yeah, really frustrating, especially in the fact that it wasn't actually uh, Pereira's fault in the end. But it's just one of those things when you're in that situation and you're putting yourself in the mind of the referee. Uh, it, it, you could try and maybe remove yourself a little bit from that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, it wasn't a penalty and it just started off uh, started off the list of uh, injustices of the afternoon. 
Yeah, it was my initial reaction was that was really stupid from Pereira. I just assumed that he had just, you know, put his arm around him and they tumbled. But upon watching the re- replay, I thought, you know, that was that was that was pretty harsh. And yeah, as you said, the West Ham fans, example of, you know, the twelfth man, I thought by and large for large spells, West Ham support wasn't particularly anything to shout about. But it just so happened that in that moment they really uh, made themselves made themselves count. Dom, just quickly, what was your take? Do you think it was a penalty or not? When it first happened, I was like can't really argue he's been told three or four times but that's what just that was just seeing at the time and you know I didn't really see the you didn't really see the proper slow motion of who made contact with each other first really until match of the day last night so but my my, my I still stand by what I said it I think it's still the stupidity I think I know it, the corner was coming in but I just removed Pereira from that situation I put someone else on Dawson at that corner because the referee has told has told Pereira two or three times yes I understand Dawson makes contact first but I still think it is just plain stupidity from Pereira, and I think I think if you just if you just move Pereira out of that situation, let's say you put I don't know Palina or, or Reed on Dawson, that doesn't happen because there isn't that previous sort of scuffle between them. And I think I think the referee was kind of looking to give a penalty there. He was waiting for pretty much any contact, and it was given a penalty at the time. I was like, I can understand why he's given it. Yes, I understand the isolated situation itself probably isn't a penalty as Dawson initiates the contact but I think when you've been told two or three times you're only asking asking the referee to make a decision at that corner yeah I thought it was a shame because it really you know as you said if Dan James's effort had gone in we'd been 2-0 up and it's a completely different game and all it takes is that one moment and the, the game is completely flipped on his head I thought after that we got cut open defensively far too many times. There was miscommunications, um, players out of position. Uh, Skamaka could have had a few. Uh, you know, he, uh, it was, if it weren't for Bernd Leno's kind of heroics, really, he made a series of really, really, really good saves. And Paqueta was linking with Skamaka really well and causing us all sorts of issues. I, had a, I was sat watching with Sammy and I asked him, OK, if you could have Alphonse Ariola or Bernd Leno in goal, who, who would you choose, Drew? Oh God! Based on this season, Burton Leno. They always say the good keepers will give you ten points in a season, and uh, and you know, Lord knows you need them down the bottom. And I think Leno absolutely give us those extra ten points this season. I've been nothing short of like we knew the quality that he had anyway, especially in shot stopping. And obviously, there's been talk about other areas again that he could probably improve on, but you know, the shot stopping elements today, we would have been three or three or four one down by half time. And that's not to say that we weren't good in the first half because I thought we played well yesterday overall completely. But like he's he's there in those moments, and you know, yeah, fair enough. Some of the uh, chances that West Ham had that he did save, you could argue they could have done better with, especially when they're under not a lot of pressure. But you know, you've got to you've got to have a keeper who's there to, who can actually do you know stop those shots, and he did. So um, yeah, no, no, for me, I'm delighted we've got him, and I'm delighted that he's on a permanent. You know, these these lone keepers that we've had in the last couple of times we've been up. You know, I get the I get the idea of it all, and we've talked about it to death. But it's nice to have a, a you know a keeper in our ranks now who's going to be uh, hopefully there for the long term, especially if we can if we can stay up. Yeah, Dom, do you agree? Yeah, I think Burton Leno has been has played more consistent first team football over the years than Alfonso Avrioli did. Yes, he was he was very good for us in the season a couple of years ago, but I think Burton Leno with what what he's done and especially as it's a permanent transfer as well I understand you're just comparing the two different goalkeepers but I think Bert Leno has, has a lot more Premier League experience I think he's shown his sort of leadership skills at the back as well so yeah for me from what I've seen so far 
it's probably down to the bias that he is our own player as opposed to someone who's on loan. And the other goalkeeper seems to be on the other t- team he just lost on the weekend. But I think that, yeah, i definitely go with Burn Leno as, over Afonso Roli at the moment. Yeah. Let's move on to West Ham's second goal. Another controversial <laughs> circumstance. So the ball comes over the top from Paqueta. Our back line caught napping, I think. I think they're obviously going for the for the offsides. I think it's Bobby Dover-Reed playing him onside. Anyway, Skamaka controls it. Leno comes out, dinks it over the top for a goal. You can tell by Skamaka's body language, right? He doesn't celebrate. He's looking incredibly sheepish that he knows that there's a chance this is going to get disallowed, right? This to me is the most annoying goal of the day because you can talk about, you know, looking at VAR and and apart from the fact that they say there was no, there was no way to conclusively tell. And then you, then you get bloody Dion Dublin who later on in the day, who is not a official to literally can find out in five seconds that it was a handball. Uh, but apart from anything else, if you're, he doesn't celebrate. It's like you say, he literally stands still because he knows. It's like, you know, it's like this, the sheepish child knows he's done wrong. And you're like, yeah. you literally, you've just literally caught him with his hand in the cookie jar. Now, I know <laughs> that that's not like, uh, I know that's not a conclusive uh, way in, in, in the VAR era, but my God, I mean, that should tell you all you need to know. That one winds me up the absolute most. Because uh, uh, first of all, I thought, um, oh, maybe he's trying to be, you know, uh, do a Cantona with the old uh, just turn around. But uh, then you see when he does, when it does get uh, called on after VAR check, he's going mental. So yeah, really frustrating. It's the two things. You look at the spin, the trajectory on the ball, it changes direction. And you can literally see his fingers move, right? <laughs> like if you want any more clear you know indication that it's uh it's a yellow card then then that's it shortly i mean dom i'm 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 sure you agree with us we're preaching to the preaching to the choir here i said my, my issue but i said it on twitter last night is my issue i don't want these to be given as handball but under the new under the letters of the law it, sh- it should be because it one it hits his knuckles then it hits his elbow and then he scores and as far as i'm aware the law is if it leads directly to a goal anything that hits your hand or your arm has to be disallowed, like we saw Marcus Rashford's goal against Pickford last night. And I'll get on to we'll get on to Antonio one later because I know there's a bit of debate about different phases of play, etc. But that's the rule. So therefore, I don't understand why it's not. Well, I'm, I don't want these to be given as handball. And in an ideal world, this isn't handball. They score their two one up. Uh, he's celebrating straight away. If we want to, we have a fluid game of football. But if these are the rules, stick to them. And they're simply they're simply not doing that, which is the most frustrating thing. Um, I said he's he's on when it comes to the offside decision. I think if Bobby Reed is a natural fullback, he'll catch him offside. But I think as he's a winger, he's caught back in that when he's not quite forward enough in the offside trap. But said it hits his knuckles. You can see the spin off. Then hits his elbow on the second bounce, and he, it's a great finish by looping it over um, Burn Leno. But just show some consistency in the rules. Like if it, it's as the rule literally states, if it hits his arm or hand in the lead up to the goal, it's disallowed. I don't know what VAR were looking at. I don't know what it was Chris Kavanaugh, Fulham and handballs, but he seems to just give it, allow him to go. I mean, it was like technically four handballs in two games now, if you include the Preston away game from last season. So, yeah, for me, I don't want these decisions to be given as handball, but if you're going by the letter of the law, I don't understand how it wasn't given as handball. And I think what annoys me as well on this occasion is that actually you could say, you know, obviously if it scrapes a finger and it's and VR says it's a handball and we don't we don't want that but i think i, I think Skamak has benefited from that from that stopping of the momentum that ball's bounced back up 
touched his arm, touched his elbow, and then come back down to for him to to uh, to loop over Leno. It's actually benefited him that ball slowing down. I think so. You know, it's not just uh, being petty, which we'd be fully within our rights to be because of the letter of the law, but it has actually benefited him as well. I think. Drew, Matt Shrimpton got in touch on this subject and said, was there a decision-making vacuum today? I.e. ref gives the benefit of the doubts to the attacking team, despite clear suspicion of handball on the basis VAR will look at it. VAR, however, gives the benefit of doubt to the on-field decision without looking at it properly again. So both are wrong. Do you think this is sort of came to play? Yeah, there's probably an element of that, isn't it? You know, we're we're so busy scrutinising every sort of element of the game now, and and there's a there's so much riding on it. That, yeah, there maybe there's a sort of a responsibility uh, vacuum. You know, people not wanting to have that um, to sort of to own those decisions. But yeah, I mean, it's, there probably is an element of that, and it's it's just one of those really frustrating sort of things because uh, you, it's there for all to see. So what's what when we're in the ground, for example. I'm I'm sure it came up on the big screen. Uh, offside check, then handball check, um, and it's like okay, so VAR is for a clear and obvious clear and obvious errors. But if you've got two reasons uh, to check uh, clear and obvious error, how can you then end up saying, oh, actually, both of those things were uh, were incorrect? And obviously, the offside, I think, what well, it wasn't. But you know, if you've got those that read that doubt there, you know, I don't know how you can go from two elements of doubt to goal. Agreed, agreed. I mean, it was incredibly frustrating to see our win get squandered in such a fashion because all these things were so avoidable and felt very sort of in, injustice. It was really. they put it on the screen at the ground. Yeah, they did, yeah, <laughs> like, afterwards, which rubbing on, salt right. in the wounds. You've surely seen that this is clearly clearly a handball twice, not, 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 not just one, twice, knuckles, and I was able to put it on the screen to show everyone how bad our decision was. Yeah, yeah it's a flex. While we're on the subject of handballs, let's come on to the Antonio handball, which for me just took the biscuit. That was worse, in my opinion, than the Skamaka handball. He literally palms it up, controls the ball with his wrist. On the, And I know, Dom, you mentioned the phases. Technically, it's the first phase and then there's the mix-up and it's a bit more kind of, you know, it's not as clear-cut a goal-scoring chance. But, I mean, for me, that is a... The fact that it wasn't even looked at, there wasn't even a, a sniff of, you know, checking it or whatever. Dom, surely that one, that for me is more of a handball. If you're looking at the isolated incident of when it's just hitting his, his arms itself, yes, it's more of a handball. Yes, you can... People talk about the phases, but they say these phases, right? Rashford's goal, I'm going to keep going back to this Rashford goal because it's living in my head rent free, right? So this goal gets disallowed, right? Rashford doesn't just go past Pickford and go. The ball hits Pickford and it comes back to Rashford. So therefore, surely that's still a second phase of play if there's been a touch from the, the, other, the opposition player. So, and then I've got West Ham fans too on Twitter saying, oh, he was getting, he was moving his arms out of the way of Palina's high challenge. I was like, the ball still hits his arm though. Like this, that doesn't mean it's not handball because he's getting his arms out of the way of Palina's High challenge. I mean, Polina. I think if he followed through a bit more of that challenge, he could have been, uh, he could have been in trouble. But he didn't. And then you know, I think yes, it is handball. But like, come on, what's Tim Room doing? He ends up in doing the splits. He end, he's, I don't. Obviously, it's a, it's a poor finish from Antonio to start off with, and then the mix up between Tim Room and Leno, and then Antonio scores. But so on the TV on the first replay, you could clearly see it's handball. But then there was no like close ups of it in any of the replays that the, they were showing. They only really showed it in. The I think the interview with Marco Silva after the game on match of the day, and then when they looked at it in the post match analysis with Danny Murphy and Dion Dublin. 
but it's a stonewall handball. His arms are up here, which is an unnatural position. People's arms aren't here. Like it wasn't. It wasn't down. It wasn't down his side. And then, yeah, it, it hit his arm. Yes, I know it's second phase of play, but if it, if it was like the Skamaka handball and there was second phase of play, I'd get it. But this is just a stonewall handball. Yeah, and both, and again, it's it's a move that's completely benefited um, Antonio because it's given him the it's given him the jump past Polinia. It's a, you know it's got him there, and obviously there are mitigating circumstances with the phase of play and and the the Leno Ream mix up, which was you know unfortunate, but I think Ream's given himself enough credit in the bank this season to get past that one. Um, but you know it's it's just unfortunate that part. But yeah, both players benefit hugely from their handling of the ball, which is is what annoys me the most because you can have innocuous ones which could be called up, but both of those have, have helped them both. And so, you know, we were talking on the way back. Two one would two one flattered West Ham. One all flattered West Ham. Three one is just it, it's crazy, really. Um, and it's just one of those things that I hope that we can sort of harness and use to our advantage uh, against what's now becoming a massive game against Bournemouth on on Saturday. Yeah, a lot of riding on that. And Bournemouth, who obviously started the season diabolically, seem to have now turned themselves into a team that are fairly tough to crack. So I anticipate it won't be an easy contest at all um, this weekend. And yeah, I mean, I think it, it pains me to admit it, but I think on balance... West Ham probably did just about deserve to win that game. They had more chances than us. They, I feel, controlled the game during large spells. I think the manner in which they obviously like did win the game is completely unfair and unjust. But I think that it was it was tight, and I don't think that we really sort of, especially in the second half, had that, apart from the Tom Kearney uh, shot that was blocked, didn't really have any make many other chances I just want to touch quickly on the substitutions that we made because I think part of the reason that we lost 3-1 is because we did give it a bit of a throw of the dice and try and make some uh, some quite sort of eyebrow raising attacking substitutions most noticeably Shane Duffy going up top Marco Silva taking off Niskins Cabano with 10 minutes to go to bring on Shane Duffy the uh, attacking substitution that we were all crying out for and we I, th- I thought to myself it's just like Shane, Shane Duffy going up top it he must be going because there's no other explanation as to why you would make that make that call. But part of me is thinking, I know ultimately it didn't pay off, but part of me is thinking I would rather have a throw of the dice and try and take the game to West Ham and do something a bit sort of out of the ordinary than, you know, sit back and, and try and peter out for a 2-1. But um, but yeah, also we, we saw Harry Wilson come on, um, which was obviously very positive to see. And, and um, the double substitution of Josh Onema on for Pereira, Drew, which was a bit of an odd one for me because I think we're all quite fairly surprised to see Josh Onema still in the fold. I think Marcus Silva made it pretty clear that he wasn't in his plans, and then he came on and didn't really seem to know where he was meant to, meant to be playing. And I'm not, I'm not for a second, um, you know, I'm not having a, having a go at him, but it just seemed like a bit of an odd substitution to me. All of the substitutions in the sort of second half, of the second half, just were a little bit strange. I thought, yeah, I don't. I've always, I, I, look, I like Josh uh, as a as a. He seems like a nice bloke, but I, I never really got Josh Onema uh, as a player. I don't really know what he brings to the side. Like, you know, with all of our different players, you you always say, you know, you can always pull out sort of one or two uh, attributes of of what what their strengths are. And and Josh has always been a bit of an enigma to me, sort of a bit of a nothing player. And and look, he was out of he was out in the cold. He was a West Brom player, pretty much as Peter said on Thursday, bar a, a last minute mishap. So the fact that he has come back in. Uh, look, great. 
if we can get it to work, then fine. But like, it's a sh- it's, it's a shocking thing, really. Like when you think about it, that he's that he's come back into the squad. So very strange, very strange. I mean, um, Wilson, so good to see him back, and obviously coming on for James. I expect that to be you know a permanent thing now. I think if if Harry Wilson comes through that uh, sort of ten minute cameo unscathed, then perhaps he even starts against Bournemouth. We'll see. Um, and and the uh, the final substitution of the day with uh, with uh, Shane Duffy. That's that to me is like that's a modern day uh, that's a modern day Ian Pierce. You know, you know, yeah, he, yeah. The, he did the exact same thing, and it was good because you know we needed somebody up top to try and get on the end of some balls. You know, I was watching that um, Dharma on Netflix, and they're talking about uh, if you can allow me a sort of a laboured point here. Uh, his dad's talking to him about this chopping the head off a frog and putting some acid on the frog's spine, and it still tries to tries to tap its head and his head's not there and at points today at points yesterday it was like we were trying to hit balls to Mitro and he wasn't there so it just <laughs> I know that's completely stretched but that's what it reminded me of beautiful um, analogy that <laughs> and so I think I, it made sense to get the the modern day Ian Pierce up top there I didn't I didn't hate that at all I thought it was quite clever um but yeah yeah three interesting substitutions for for three different reasons but uh I, I thought they all kind of made sense in their own way, bar Onoma. It made for quite a fun post-match pub chat when we were trying to remember other incidences in recent history where Fulham have brought on a centre-back to go up top. And I, I seem to recall uh, Chris Smalling occasionally doing that job for us. Breda Hangland used to go up top, sort of like in the dying embers under the Hodgson era. Uh, can you think of any more off the top of your head? Uh, for Fulham, God, I think you probably covered them, haven't you? I mean, you mentioned—I don't know—it's it's definitely a, a tale as old as time in uh, in in football lore, and I think uh, I, I really rate it because uh, you know I think it's nice to get somebody up there that you can uh, chuck on in the corner, or you know, you see the goalies going up, don't you? So it's just a similar sort of thing to that. Just get a, someone's noggin on the end. Um, so yeah, and also obviously at the time it was two one, so it could have been could have been quite the moment if our mate Shane had done it, but yeah, it wasn't to be. Yeah, it would have been iconic. He would have written himself into Fulham folklore had had he uh, bagged an equaliser. Anyway, let's leave it at that for the time being. Let's put it behind us. Look ahead to Bournemouth on Saturday. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with some of your listener questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm George Cooper and I'm joined by Drew Heatley. Hello. And Don Betts. Hello, hello. How are you both doing? You good? Right. Yeah, I think it's sort of, you know, just this therapy about of going back after last night's decisions has been quite nice. Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed it so far. I just wanted like quick, I know this isn't a particularly new or groundbreaking discussion point, but it's my first time going to um, London Stadium I used to go to Upton Park. I went twice in my um, in my teenage years, and I absolutely used to love it. I thought it was one of the best stadiums in the football league. And I think yesterday, I, I felt really quite 
sad for the state of modern football and and particularly West Ham fans because the it's just I just I just thought it was it was just pretty soulless to be honest. The um I mean just quickly what's what's your take on the on the situation with the uh, West Ham ground? I I don't hate it. Everybody does. Everybody dislikes it. I don't hate it. I just because uh, it's a hop, skip, and a jump away from I love, your. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love the proximity to my gaff. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, you talk about having you, you are quite far away, and that is obviously uh, 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 that is quite annoying. Long, it's, a long trip on the Jubilee line. Yeah, if you fall asleep and go the wrong direction, sure. <laughs> um, but you know, there's there's no there's no poles in the way. There's no obstructed view. As long as you've got your contacts in or your glasses on, you know, it's okay. It's not the best. It's not it's not particularly characterful. You know, we we. I've been to Upton Park as well back in the day, and and that's a lot nicer, nicer experience in terms of proper football experience. But all of these grounds are happening now. I'd much rather go to an Olympic Stadium, London Stadium, whatever you want to call it, than a than a St Mary's or a uh, Walker's Bowl or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Where those those ones from the early noughties, where these identical stadiums popped up and Hull as well, and all these these things that look exactly the same. I'd much rather go to to London Stadium than those. But I appreciate. You know. Is that because they take two or three hours to get to, though, Drew? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Follow full of midweek slash locally. No, <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it, it's got something about it, at least. I, it, for me, it just, it didn't have the, like, the beauty or the attention to detail that one of these big, you know, like the Emirates or the new White Hart Lane has. I felt like it was obviously quite hastily erected in anticipation for the for the London Olympics. And I think that kind of shows that it's, it's just, there's so much space everywhere. It's like the, the stadium doesn't need to be that big. And yet you feel so far away. It's just, I don't know, it's just like in a big, expansive kind of like bowl. It reminds me of sort of like the, um, you know, the Italian um, stadiums that the likes of Juventus play. In. So I don't know. Um, may, maybe it's just because I was, I was grumpy having fallen asleep on the Jubilee line on the way there. So <laughs> <laughs> the journey took me well over two hours. But anyway, what's your take, Dom, quickly? Oh, I just think it's a soul of shit off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we wanted. There you go. That's the soundbite. Um, cool. Let's move on to some questions. Uh, this first one I'm going to throw to you, Ju. This is from James Barron. Good day, guys. I'm watching Fulham last night, uh, brackets Australian time, and I'm struck by how good they can be and in a nanosecond how vulnerable they become. How does Fulham impose itself more often and for longer in these incredibly difficult week in, week out Premier League games? I think we start I think we started to do it quite well at the beginning of the season. We, you know, we kept up some excellent intensity levels in especially in the first game in the draw against Liverpool uh and then Brentford as well. I think uh, we definitely got it in us. I think what would really help is having a full strength side. You know, there's been a bit of debate recently uh started by Sammy about what what's deemed an injury crisis and I'd argue that we we are there because you know a lot of our first teamers have been injured you, you even start to forget about players like Mano Solomon who've been brought in as a first first team winger so we we you know one thing that would definitely help is having a full strength side absolutely but we've shown that we can do we can impose our will on a game and we can keep up with intensity levels of Premier League got no no uh uh, problems about that and again it's like going back to what I said on Thursday you know we do have the depth it's just where it's just the quality and the, the quality of that depth and whether that's good enough and and the jury's out on that um, but you know the fact is we've got 25 man squad and we've got men to take up those spots so we do have you can't include any more than 25 men so what can you do um, but I, I definitely think we can do it and we've shown that we can do it I just think we could do with a couple of people coming back 
I think I would have to agree with that. I thought, you know, you just look at when we had a full fit, well, near enough fully fit squad or a more fit squad at the start of the league. We were a really nasty team to play against and did impose ourselves on games. Started aggressively, you know, very difficult to break down defensively. And, and yeah, I think that it's just a case of, you know, waiting for some of those key men to come back. Just on that point on strength of depth, Drew. So Thomas Ryland Jenkins asked, Dom, thinking about January, do we need to strengthen up? If so, who? We've been unlucky recently and our great start has given us a favourable position in the table. I still think we could benefit from depth in all areas, um, you know, with the likes of injuries and suspension, etc. So, Dom, come come January, do you think we'll be in the market for anyone? And, and who, where, what areas do you think we should beef up if we can? Well, I think the last few weeks it showed, although we signed um, Kevin Mbappé and Levin Kazar, I think the fullback area, I think we've shown that when Tete and Rompson aren't fit, the options we have aren't good enough. A makeshift Bobby Reid at right back. I'm not saying he had a bad game yesterday, but I think the fullback area shows if we have injuries to our main two, that there's not much depth. I understand a centre back that you could argue we could still strengthen there, but I think you know, I think you know we are we are going to concede goals just simply for the way we play. And I, but I think so. I think the centre back. If you look at Tossin and Reem, I don't think they've been terrible so far this season. I think what we did show is once Polini is injured, we don't really have a, a plan B there. The plan B, which was in the final challenge, which I think a lot of Fulham fans don't want to see again. Is it next time do we move Reed back and push Kane into midfield with Pereira? Again, that depends if who you're playing. If you're playing like a, a top 16, that's not exactly the system you want to be deploying with Pereira and Kearney both playing. So I think at the moment I'm looking at the fullback areas and holding midfield. I'm not going to judge Vinicius yet because obviously it's his first start for the club. So yeah, I'd definitely look at the fullback areas and holding midfield especially. Okay. Uh, you say not going to judge Vinicius yet. I know it's his first start. But I thought he looked very much off the pace. I thought his touch was pretty poor. And bar the ball that he put through to uh, Cabano for Pereira's opener, I think he was very like ineffective, didn't make his present known for large periods of the game. Drew, just quickly, how, how did you think he fared on his first Fulham start? He didn't do he didn't do maybe quite as much as what I'd hoped, but I think I fell into the trap of what most of us do when you get a, a, a striker coming in for his first full full game you sort of you're you're hoping slash expecting uh come up with a a goal or two um so maybe i'm judging quite harshly based on that but yeah i do do think i do understand what you're saying uh george there was i think he needs to come up to the pace of the premier league a little bit but that's i think that's part of the course isn't it and it's always going to be a difficult it's going to be a difficult season for Vinicius because of the what you know the role he's going to come into play and you know fair play to him to coming in for coming in and taking it up because it's you know it's not it's not a role that most uh, strikers would like to take, um, playing second fiddle to Alexander Mitrovic. But I think, yeah, he's got some he's got some uh, acclimatization to do. But I think you know he looked enough for me. I think he's obviously uh, he's a more developed player than Rodrigo Muniz, for example, who I do rate. But in the Premier League, I think it's it's good to have Carlos Vinicius there. But it's uh, it's going to take a couple of games, I think, and he's been thrown in probably earlier than he even expected he would have been. Fair enough. We we have actually been quite a sport for choice over the years for strikers making an instant impact. I'm thinking Josh Madge obviously got his two goals against Everton fairly early doors. I know he eventually sort of fizzled out and wasn't the impact ultimately that we want him to be, but he made a very, very strong start. Um, as did, you know, Rodrigo Munez um getting getting his goals in. Again, like I agree with you, probably not 
Premier League quality just yet. Uh, Pavel Progreniak, do you remember getting him just instant oh, yeah. impact, hitting the ground running? Obviously, Alexander Mitrovic doing the same. So maybe as Fulham fans, we just have that <laughs> sort of um, subconscious ex- expectation for, for strikers to be banging them in from from the off. So maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on Vinicius. I'll, 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 hold, I'll reserve my judgment for at least a few more few more matches. But um, yeah, hopefully hopefully some game time will we'll make him look a little bit sharper. Don, we got a question from Londinium Cooling just now. We're all distracted by the handball for West Ham's second goal, but shouldn't we be scrutinising Tosin's statuesque response as the ball fell at Skamaka's feet? He stood still with his arm aloft to indicate offside. Why would you do that when we have VAR? Now, I think in this incident, it was obviously BDR playing him onside, which maybe you know would explain why why he was kind of um, left a bit uh, with his with his with his uh, shorts pulled down. But I mean, I do think that many instances throughout the game yesterday, our, our defence did look rather flat-footed. Yeah, I think for both the second and the third goals, you can question what what on earth the defence do. I understand the third goal, we're, we're pushing a lot of players forward. That's why Antonio's allowed to be played through. But you know, for that for that second goal. You know what the offside rule is. He's not going to flag until the ball's in the back of the net. He doesn't flag because Bobby Reed's playing him onside. I understand the frustration with Tossin because Tossin should, be, should be playing to the flag, playing to the whistle, you know, hoping that don't just look, oh, he's offside, I'll, I'll leave him now. I think he should be sort of trying to push back and trying to get a challenge in, but he doesn't do that. I think the blame here is obviously you can put it on Tossin, but I also think it is just on, not necessarily blaming Bobby Reed, but I think it's, as I mentioned earlier, just because he's not a natural fullback, he wasn't sort of part of the offside trap and, I think if it was Kenny Tete there, Kenny Tete would have been pushed up and Skamaka would have been caught offside in the goal and it would never have stood. But yeah, you, I guess you could you, you can blame Toss in there, but I think people are sort of trying to find reasons to blame for the defeat of the game. I think simply we, we've not been good at the back all season, so I don't think it's necessarily anything new. Drew, do you think it's time we start bringing D up in from time to time to experiment with our back line or are you on the school of keep it consistent? Um, I fully expect him to come in at some point uh, in the next few games, yeah, because as Dom said, like, look, we, we're shipping a lot of goals and, you know, in this league, in this league, you're not going to win games if you're shipping goals, you know. You concede three, you're going to have to score four, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we, you know, especially when Mitrovic is out, we're not going to be doing that. Um, so, you know, a lot's been said about, obviously, Tim Ream having a good season so far and things like that. And yeah, he has. Um, but we are still shipping too many goals to be getting, uh, to be putting ourselves in a position to get good results uh, regularly and consistently. So, yeah, uh, you know, he said the up wasn't brought in, was never brought in to be on the bench. Um it's a, it, for me, it's kind of like a, 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 a Rodak Leno situation. You know, uh, at some point I expect Diop to come in and take the place of Ream because that's why he was brought in. And the reason he hasn't come in so far is because Ream's performed really well. Now, as I said a minute, literally, you know, two minutes ago, Ream's got enough credit in the bank to get away with the, the error with, with Leno. But, you know, I think there's probably not much more much more in the bank than that. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens because we have been shipping too many goals. So yeah, in short answer, yeah, Diop, I'm pretty sure will come in before I start carving me pumpkin, but let's see. <laughs> I quite like that expression. <laughs> Sounds like we play West Ham some sort of like old Cockney, uh, Cockney sort of rhyming slang. Yeah. <laughs> before I start carving me pumpkin, IVC. But yeah, um, on that point, uh, Michael B asked, too many goals conceded with defence playing quite well as a unit. Dom, just quickly, what what's your solution? You're Marco Silva. What I I don't I don't think that, I think it's getting our fullbacks back fit. Personally, I think it's 
need get getting Kanate back in the side. I guess he would have mentioned about Diop. I haven't been apart from to be fair when he came on against Newcastle last week. I haven't been hugely impressed with him. I think I don't. I think the results we've got this season. I think people. It's just the first. It's probably his first time in about two years. We sort of had back to back defeats, and we're in a bad. We're, we're in a sort of bad run of form. But I think if you look at the start of the season we've had. There's no reason really to change anything right now. If it continues, you know, if we don't get results, let's say against Bournemouth and Villa, for example, then. I could see the argue to change anything, but at the moment I'm fine, sickening of what it is. Yes, we had, it was a poor day at the office the last couple of games. We were a lot better yesterday when we were against Newcastle, but I think from the start of the season we had, every fan would have taken it. So I think you've got to sort of just trust Marco Silva and Marco Silva to make the right decisions and he'll make changes if he sees needs fit. Yeah, just Dom, you mentioned the fullbacks there. Joe Cook asked, why do we pay transfer fees for two fullbacks that are deemed so poor that we play a 35-year-old centre-back or wingers instead? Did Marco want these players in the first place? That's the question that I want to focus on because I know we, we touched upon the Mbappé situation earlier on. But do you think that, you know, Kazawa and Mbappé were Marco Silva's choice or do you think they were brought in? I think, I think Mbappé was. I don't think Kazawa was. Um, I think Kazal was because Joe Bryan wanted to leave to play first team football and we needed to sign a left back and he was one of the options available to get done on deadline day. That's that's why I say it. I think Mbappé because it was done early. I can see it being a Marco Silva transfer. Maybe he didn't realize how bad he was at defending. I don't know. But yeah, late, like, I can't see Kazal being a Marco Silva transfer. It doesn't it just doesn't sort of fit his profile. Uh, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? The Mbabu sort of scenario is is becoming for me more and more intriguing by the week. Um just as much as Nathaniel Chalaber is a silver guy inside and out, you just know he is. You know they worked together before, and he he consistently throws him in uh, when he when he when he can when he needs to. Uh, in Babu, he does not. He clearly does not rate. So if he is a if he is a Marco Silva signing, um, yeah, it's like Dom said. Did he did he did he research? Yeah, I don't know. And also, look, I'm not calling time on Babu at all. You know, I think there's, I've said it before. There's not been enough uh, sample size to see how he's done, um, but. It's just looking so. It's looking so perplexing at the moment. I agree with Kazawa. It's obviously a, a deadline sort of deadline day scenario. But you know, I think ultimately, regardless of how much football he's played, he's got the pedigree, and I don't think that would be something where Silva would have been too upset with that signing at all. I don't think any of us were. And again, I don't think any of us can really say for sure whether that's going to be a good one or a bad one yet. But the pedigree's there. I just think, yeah, one thing that's been so abundantly clear this season is just how important Tete and Robinson are to us. And uh, I just, you know, echo what has been said so far, the sooner they can get back, the better. Yeah, it was great to see Robinson back yesterday. And it is so obvious what he offers us. He's just got that Premier League physicality and the, the pace to, to, to make up for um yeah no to cover along that left side it was it was great to see him back chad paris dom asked so many people are saying bin var video replay isn't going anywhere in the sport so how can we make it more consistent and better quality come on you whites no just get rid of it just get rid of it straight up i've never been i've never been a fan of it i don't see the point in it like the whole point was to get rid of like debate and discussion we're talking about refereeing decisions more now yeah. than we were before that's a very very valid point that um, I, I've never, I've never been pro VAR. I'm, I'm fine with goal line technology. We'll see how this automated offside technology works in the World Cup. I'm fine with anything that's not in made decisions being made by a human being. I'm fine with that. Goal line technology, fine. If they somehow can automate an offside decision, that literally just says if it's onside or onside, job done. But there's too much objective, objective. There's too much subjectivity involved in VAR that it, it isn't black or white and that was the whole point of bringing it in so I mean, if it was down to me I'd scrap it it's here to stay we've seen other countries and other tournaments use it better like the Champions League for example but 
still, I just, I mean, I'm never, I'm never be a fan of it. And I never will be. I think that if you could implement or change the VAR so that if if the decision needs to be checked, the referee has thirty seconds countdown stop upon reaching the replay, having a time limit. Because yesterday it was absurd how long that check took. The whole ground was booing because of how to long get it wrong as well. Yeah, to how long it took, and then to get it wrong, it was just it was a far. It was it was an example of the absolute worst of this technology. I use that in inverted commas. So the main reason I don't like VR as well, it gets it gets rid of the euphoria of scoring a goal. You know, that's the main, that's the reason why people go to football is for those celebrations, celebrating a goal. I don't want to be, have to wait in two minutes, looking at screen, see, checking VAR decisions, see what happens. So for me, I'll never be a fan of VAR, I never will be. Anything that's automated and instant, like goal line technology, or they can automate offsides, then great. But anything that a human is making a subjective decision about is not going to improve the game. And I, I, if it was down to me, I'd just scrap it altogether in uh, football-wide. Quickly, one last uh, question for you, Dom. This is from James Gleish. Coming to England for my first match since before the pandemic, what pub sh- should I absolutely have to hit up pre-match? Well, I think I'd I'd say if you've got if you're doing like a list, a little tour, I'd say I'd say well, if you're a Fulham side, I'd say obviously you got the Golden Lion, Hammersmith Way, you got the Crabtree, you got the Blue Boat Run on the river. I'd say also head to the Jolly Gardeners if you go in Putney side, Britlay's Arms if you like a nice ale. I mean, there's loads, but yeah, I think Golden Lion, Crabtree. And Jolly Gardner's, I'd say the main ones. Drew, do you want to chuck another one in the mix there? Oh, can't be, can't be that really. I go blue boat, but it's not. I don't. I wouldn't say it's one you absolutely have to visit at all. If you want a Fulham experience, then yeah, Lion probably. I'd say. I'd say if you want historic old London boozer, Bricklayer's Arms. If you want a genuine, authentic match day Fulham fan experience, go to the Golden Lion. If you want just a nice pub by the river, go Crabtree. That that would be my recommendation. All right, on that note, I think we'll wrap up there. The one thing that's left to do is name the pods. Drew, which one are you going to go for? It's got to be West Hand United because uh, it does United. everything it says on the tin, doesn't it, really? Who is, I know quite a few people pitched in with that one, so don't, yeah. don't, don't, um, don't at us if, if, if you're not mentioned. But who was, the, who was the one that you spotted? That was Wady FFC on Insta. I, uh, that's the one I saw. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, Fulham hoping to put two back-to-back defeats behind us as we face Bournemouth on Saturday. Sammy will be back with the Thursday club on Thursday, funnily enough. So do keep your eyes peeled for that. And yeah, all that's left for me to do is thank my guest, Drew Heatley. Cheers, George. And thank you very much, Don Betts. No worries, mate. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. Tell us. You us.